as engineers, we want to provide the best solutions to the to the problems out there. And for me, that's about having access to the most relevant data to be able to make some decisions on it. So that's connected digital twins. So a true digital twin means different things to different people. To me, what it means is a complete replicant. So if I had a digital twin of my mobile phone and I cracked the screen, the digital version would crack too. If we start to see uh, the whole of the built environment as this amazing um, interconnected system of systems, and then we have a competent tool set to help us to manage complex systems, then we can start to deliver the improved performance that facilitates better human flourishing. And what we see, not just in digital twins, but in connected digital twins, is that tool set that is competent to help us manage complex systems. Uh, and we can't do it another way. Uh, up until now, we haven't been able to do it. Now we've got this opportunity to do something astounding. I define a, a digital twin as a, as a, a digital representation of the, the physical asset, but with that connection between the digital and the physical. And I think, I think that's the really important part, is the integration between the digital information you know, on our computers and then the link to the real world. And I think that that link to the real world is the, is the critical change that's gonna take us from where we are now, which is looking at all of the, the, the data that we create in the digital space, but actually connecting it to the, the physical space is going to give us that next step change in the data and the information feeds that we're getting in. Welcome to the Tunneling Podcast. I'm John Young. And this month, we are going digital. From the move to online shopping and the rise of on-demand entertainment, to the boom in video conferencing and working remotely, digital transformation is revolutionising life as we know it. In the engineering space, one of the most powerful examples of this is the rise of the digital twin. At the top of the show, you heard from Tim Rook, who works for IBM in the industrial product sector, and from Mark Enzer, who is the chair of the UK's Digital Framework Task Group and Chief Technical Officer at Consultant Mark McDonald. Mark and his colleagues at the DFTG are responsible for spearheading the development of the digital framework required to form the foundations for a national digital twin. And you also heard from this guy. My name is Michael Gaunt, and I lead the information management account at Mott McDonald. To understand the role that digital twins can play in shaping our underground space, we first of all have to ask, what problem is a digital twin trying to solve? I think for me, it's about continuing to improve the decisions that we can make because of the amount of information that we can bring in. And if we can actually bring in information from the real world, then actually that's more information for us to provide more informed decisions. For me, it's very simply, it's linking our digital models through to the, the, the real world. Creating a digital representation of a real world asset connected in real time has been a key area of development for engineers working in aviation and automotive industries. But this is still a novel idea for those in the underground space. In the underground space, I think that uh, generally we don't have tangible examples. I think those tangible examples are still quite rare. But I think if we look through the case with regards to asset management, I think is very clear. 
It's about getting information from the physical asset to actually understand how how it is operating and to be able to foresee issues in the future. But I think also, particularly coming from my background with regards to design, actually, we continue to make uh, improved designs and make design changes throughout that capex period of a project so examples would be where we are getting information from sites so for example settlement monitoring having that fed back into our design information and our calculations to validate them to check if they are correct to check if the assumptions that we have made are right and to be able to foresee if there's going to be any issues during the next phases of construction. So particular case studies would be bringing that information through from, say, settlement monitoring, bringing that information through from, say, how the tunnelman machine is operating so that we can continue to back validate the information we've already got in the digital model and continue to to improve it and iterate it going forward, because ultimately that's what engineering is about, is, you know, the application of science and continuing to iterate our calculations with regards to using information from the real world. Michael explains that the digital twin has the potential to play a role throughout the life cycle of the project, from conception and planning, through design and construction, and through to the whole life monitoring of the tunnel. Often at the start of the project, we obtain survey data and using that to inform our model. But I think for me at that stage, we've not really achieved a digital twin. We've, we've just started to capture that reality. As we then go forward and we actually start to put sensors in the ground as we move towards construction, that's when, for me, it becomes a digital twin. Now, that might be a couple of years early. We might be obtaining information about environmental conditions, about how the existing infrastructure is working and using that information to inform our our transport modelling. It might be our hydraulic modelling calculations, but really informing that is this the right solution? So then I guess we get through to the actual construction phase. And that's where we need to be feeding back that information from site to understand how the current design is operating. Now, that might be settlement and movement monitoring uh, on our uh, as constructed assets, maybe our temporary works or maybe just the surrounding infrastructure. How are we actually impacting on people's lives? How, we, how are they you know, moving around around what we're constructing? Or maybe how are we impacting existing buildings with regards to settlement and the construction of of underground structures? Then I think as we move into operation, it then takes on slightly different form, which is we're looking at a a much more long-term view. And we've got to make sure that the data that we're capturing then is the right data to be able to inform what we're trying to do. So with regards to asset management, we don't probably need live data feeds from, from many of those sensors. But how do we obtain the right information to inform the uh, the operational and maintenance schedules that we need to under- undertake? And I think there, that's there's a big opportunity there. And that's how we can reduce that ongoing need for someone to go out to the area to uh, monitor how things are operating and assess whether there's any remediation measures required. Because I think if we actually build up a big data set around those assets, then I think there's a huge opportunity to apply efficiencies. On top of efficiency gains, Michael also sees the potential for health and safety benefits. I think with regards to underground structures as well, we need to remember that 
really we shouldn't be putting people into these places if it's if at all possible i mean obviously that's going to depend on what the asset is there for but many tunnels many many underground facilities we want to keep people away from them now there's an argument to say that putting sensors in that might need maintaining is actually adding an additional case for maintenance and operation routines but ultimately you know we can we can remove people from these spaces and we can hopefully bring a, another level of safety with regards to, to maintenance. I'm Peter Vale. I'm the Engineering Information Manager at Tideway. I actually sit on the Digital Transformation Task Group with Mark Enza, representing the sort of the client side of the whole Digital Twin initiative. How ready are we to share data? Well, um, this is a big problem around digital security about what you can and can't share. So one of the reports that we did in the Digital Transformation Task Group was around commercial confidentiality, about what are the barriers. And quite often we typically uh, lock in data that is confidential when it's not because we believe it is commercially sensitive. And one of the challenges is to understand what we have, to start defining what is confidential and what's not, and then being willing to share that data that isn't commercially sensitive in a way that could be of a, a bigger benefit to everyone else. So how might asset owners and operators do this? Well, we need to have agreements in place potentially. So one of the things that Tideway have been doing recently is to support the GLA's National Underground Asset Register in that they're actually putting together a lot of underground assets in the east of London. And we've been willing to share our tunnels and our shaft locations with an agreement that allows all of the various parties to be able to access that information with the aim that it starts unlocking the truth around what is there to really minimise the real problems that could come about from not knowing what is under the ground and that sort of proof of concept that we're supporting will be the basis of then rolling out something to the wider national uh, digital twin requirements. So the picture we have of what a digital twin is and the problems that it can solve is becoming clearer. The digital twin is a virtual replica of a real-world tunnel. It's connected in such a way that the virtual model changes in line with all the measured points of the real-world tunnel. So if a crack appears in the tunnel lining in the real-world tunnel, it should also appear in real-time or near enough in the virtual tunnel. The problems digital twins can solve are dependent on the users and their needs. In construction, we can collate all the data being produced during the excavation of the tunnel and give detailed feedback that can help developments in the design and confirm or refute assumptions made during the design process. In operation, it can bring efficiencies in maintenance and improve health and safety. In many cases, we are already collecting the data needed to build a digital twin. We have complex three-dimensional models of projects. We live monitor excavation performance, settlement behaviour, and for tunnels in operation. Looking at sewer tunnels, we do already have you know, a wealth of experience of applying level sensors, flow monitoring, etc., into these environments. But I think the key for the digital twin is actually to get these linked back to those operational models in a, in a mature, in a professional manner, such that we can use them to continuously advise our operations. In the first instance, Michael believes that the main benefits of digital twins in the underground space will be in tunnel operations. But really, the digital twin for tunnel assets, I think that it's all about operation. 
And then actually, I think that we're going to see a lot more with regards to underground assets, a lot more existing clients looking to um, apply the digital twin approach to existing assets, whether that might be, you know, a, a road tunnel where we're trying to capture additional sensors from the tunnel on ventilation, fire safety, um, et cetera, et cetera. I think the business case there is very strong. The challenge to putting it in place is to have the right people in place to be able to advise how that is done in a in an effective manner that is is going to be uh, suitable in in 20 years time, 50 years time, or 120 years time if that's the life of the asset. Which again brings another challenge in, which is that technology is continually developing, and what might have been appropriate a year ago is now changing, and that the advancements that we can take continue to mature and mature and mature. So again, it needs to have a sensible approach to it to say. What is the strategy that we can implement now? How do we have it open, flexible, with the right people involved so that we can continue to allow it to mature over time? Giving real-time information on an asset is just a starting point for digital twins. As we develop the use of twins, the hope is they will be able to help asset owners and infrastructure planners forecast the future demand and develop optimal solutions. The ability to predict is, is really key. And I think that that is where we need to be moving to as we go forward. So rather than reactive maintenance, reactive changes, we can actually be far more proactive. That will then allow us to be uh, much more informed with regards to the budgets required to keep these things operational, uh, to be able to apply uh, much longer term business models to how these things operate, maintained, maybe renewed. But I think also we need to keep it simple and just remember the context of where we are right now. And simply having access to the information from a scheme, perhaps over the last, you know, a period of years to allow us to inform other schemes is going to be a massive step forward because actually it's very hard to get the data from other schemes to say, well, what happened in this case here? What happened in this case in here? How can that inform what I'm doing now? I think simply just having that information available, stored in the right way um, and, and, you know, the ability to share it. Uh, is actually really powerful in in itself. And that's what we're not able to do now. I think it's one of the big challenges around engineering is that we always want to come up with a brand new design. Uh, you know, we want to build something and design something that's bespoke. Whereas actually, if we had this information and realized that a lot, you know, some of these cases are very similar, some of these environments are very similar, perhaps that would allow us the opportunity to focus more on repeatability. Um, and I think that in terms of efficiencies and savings, uh, that does have quite a far-reaching effect across our, you know, our industry and supply chain, really. But the tunnelling industry and the wider construction industry is behind the curve. Digital twin leaders include the automotive and aviation industries, where business models are changing and new market structures developing as a result of the application of digital twins. The big vision of the digital twin cannot be implemented unless we improve our information management approaches. So what I mean simply by that is that we collect our data in the right way and we collect it in such a way that we can trust it when it is connected together in the future. So therefore, I would ask people to think about when they are doing their design, whether they are reviewing the operations of a tunnel, whether they are going out and doing their inspection on site. How can we access that data in six months time? How can we access that data in a year's time? Because if we get to the position where we can actually do that, 
then we're collecting our and storing our data in, in the right way. Ultimately, you need all parties in those data silos to come together to cooperate and collaborate. Now, does that mean that you've got to have a very, very structured data schema that needs to remain in place for the entirety of the, uh, of the life cycle of the asset? I'm not totally sure, but I do think that the approach that the National Digital Twin Programme is taking to, to get that kind of unified description and unified commons approach to connecting data is, is very important. This is Mark Enzer again from the Digital Framework Task Group. We're looking to establish something which we're calling the commons. And the idea of that is that it should be a national open shared resource that is, is for all of us, which gives us the guidance that enables the consistency. Uh, and, and what we're specifically aiming for in the commons is to put there the absolute minimum that we need to enable consistency. This is important because digital twins do not need to model and report on every possible variable and piece of data, which would be time consuming and unnecessary. The trick is to report on critical data in a consistent way. What, what it's looking like is that uh, if we can um, agree on some kind of foundation data model that facilitates consistent data modeling, uh, and if we can come up with uh, a, an approach that enables consistent reference data management, so re a reference data library, probably some kind of um, federated national reference data library that is managed by the people who know about it. So in other words, energy manages their bit, water manages their bit, but it's federated. Uh, and then some kind of guidance on integration architectures. Just three things, we think. And you're at this, this national level, we believe that will unlock uh, what everyone else needs to then just just horse on, put the foot on the accelerator and, and get on with it. But it's not going to be easy. And as we've seen with many of the other data schemas that we have across the industry, as technology you know develops, these things are going to change over time. So I think there's a balance between standard and structure, but also flexibility. Um, and ultimately, we need to allow people to build their structure and their data in the way that works for their silo, uh, but then be able to, to, to be able to plug it together at the end. So um, there needs to be some structure, um, but openness as well. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's the challenge. Creating a digital twin is about bringing together these data silos that exist on every tunneling project and bringing them together in a unified way and then opening that data to others that could use it. As an industry, we have a way to go but no one can achieve this in isolation. It needs the entire industry to get on board with the vision. I think actually we are making progress as an industry towards this, uh, towards this vision, but we need to remember that, you know, we're coming along a journey of digital transformation in our industry, and we need to get significant critical mass within our industry for people to then be able to come together to deliver digital twins. So, you know, Fundamentally, what do we need to deliver digital twins? Well, we need openness of data. We need data that's structured in the right way to be able to connect it together. And we need leadership. We need people at the right levels in organizations to be able to say, you know, this is the appropriate thing that we should be doing, and this is why we should be doing it. And that's going to require people to kind of put their head above the parapet and really want to do things in a different way and of course doing things in a different way there's associated risks. That leadership right now is coming from the Centre for Digital Built Britain but it also needs to come from every one of us. 
As an industry, we need to demonstrate whole life benefits to clients so that they include the creation of a digital twin in their plans and their contracts. But Michael and others pursuing the digital twin agenda warn against putting all responsibility into clients' hands. I think that clients can lead this and push this forward, but um, uh, I don't think that's the single answer. And I think actually, whether it's a designer, contractor, you know, tiers of the supply chain, I think we we all sit in a, a level position to be able to be providing uh, propositions to um, overcome these hurdles along the way to implementing digital twins. So we, we've all got a part to play, I think. The complex transactional nature of construction contracts are a barrier to harnessing the digital twin revolution. Improved openness, a recognition of the mutual benefits of sharing data and having this cultural change reflected in the contracts is going to be part of this journey. There are a lot of barriers in this, whether that might be you know, contractual barriers. I think that I think the technology there is 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 available, but as an industry, we are you know quite quite fragmented, quite disconnected, and we do operate in very transactional manners. Which, if we're therefore wanting to put in live streams of data that might not be you know might have to go through automatic checking, automatic validation, people are going to be very wary and very sensitive of this because we're not we're not quite there yet in all of our of our thinking. So. Um, I think we're on the right path um, and we need more projects to um, share what they are doing and share good, good case studies. It's really important, I believe, for us to have a, a kind of a common vision, um, a view as to where we're going to enable us to align. Because the real danger here is that everyone does their own thing. They all think, oh, this is exciting. Let, let's kind of get on and do it. And they all point in their own directions. The, the value here to all of us is to be aligned. Uh, and one of the ways to be aligned is to share the vision. Another way to be aligned is to share values. The Tunneling Podcast is a production of Reby Media, produced and hosted by me, John Young, script supervision and production help from Bernadette Ballantyne, sound engineering from Ross McPherson, series supervision from Martin Nowak of the British Tunneling Society, and our executive producer is Rory Harris. Many thanks to Michael Gaunt of Mark McDonald and to Mark Enzer and Peter Vale of the Digital Framework Task Group, who were both recorded at the Bentley Systems Twin Talks conference. And also to Tim Rook of IBM, who was recorded at the Northumbrian Water Digital Technology Day. Next month, we will be exploring tunnel maintenance using artificial intelligence. Thanks for listening.